Good morning. Good to see you here today. Blessed to be together to worship our good God. If you're new or visiting, we want to welcome you to Disciples Church. It's a joy to be a part of this family and to be a part of God's family by His grace, as we've just testified in the Lord's Supper and in our united song to the risen King. Um, just praying for you in these days that the Lord's given you under the sun, that uh, He's at work in your life to bring forth the priority of the things of God, um, the opportunity we have to share this good news of Christ life, death, and resurrection with others, to see the power of God go to work in our marriages, and our families. Um, as we work through life, life struggles, I know there's some real stuff that some of you are going through right now, real obstacles and hardships. Um, and it just, you know, I'm thankful for how faith is at work in our uh, historic church, and um, what a joy. Uh, it's great to have a week off last week to rest and thankful for steve his faithfulness to preach the word um blessed me as i tuned in to listen to it later and um just thankful for that opportunity uh, to be in the word um we continue today our our sermon series through the letter of ephesians and man what a joy it's been to study this great book that god's ordained to be in holy scripture if you want to grab your bibles and turn to the back of your bibles and find the book of ephesians uh, Paul is writing to the Christians in the region of Ephesus in, for many people's opinion, uh, one of the most helpful letters in Scripture, the power um, of Christ at work, and uh, what a joy it is. Tonight, today, I get to preach on chapter 4, verse 28. Um, my, my original thought was we'd cover a few verses, and I was mistaken. Um, there's so much good, good stuff here, and thankful, thankful for what God's doing. Let me pray, and we'll dig in. Father, I thank you for this time and place. For each person you've brought here today to, to gather, to fellowship with the body of Christ, to be encouraged, to be prayed for. Um, Lord, that, that real community would be happening here, real, true unity, connection, and faithfulness to you and to all that you're doing I thank you, Lord, for the layers of the generations that are represented, um, the, the diversity of our family, the things that you're drawing us out of, the obstacles that we've overcome, the things that we're working through in this very time. That this time together, uh, as we look to your holy word, would be powerful in our lives. You'd be moving mightily, that there'd be nothing casual or flippant about this hour, but we would be tuning in to the living God, to your word for us, your instruction, your clarity, your command, your rebuke, Lord, that you would um, not allow us to leave here the way we came in, that we'd be truly challenged, truly motivated to live our days for you. What a joy it is to be uh, together. We pray the Holy Spirit would do his work mightily in our lives. We pray these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 28 says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is continuing in this part of the passage to direct the saints to put off their old ways when they were dead in sin, 
and put on their new God-honoring ways now that they are alive in Christ. In verse 28, Paul touches on another important area of life, which is by what means we acquire what we have. And for what purpose do we acquire it? There are two ways to acquire something. You can righteously earn it or buy it, or you can sinfully steal it. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. Why would a thief no longer steal? The answer is because he's been empowered with a new conviction. Because he has a new motivation for acquiring goods in an honorable way. But before we get to that, let's slow to consider this area of life and God's important command on us. The eighth commandment of our Lord found in Exodus 20 verse 15 is simple yet profound. You shall not steal. To steal is to take another person's property. Something that belongs to someone else. doesn't belong to you. Without permission. Without the legal right to have it. With no intention of returning it. Let me ask you. Are you a thief? Do you steal from others? Most of you are probably quick to think, no, I'm, I'm not a thief. Uh, when you think of a thief, you think of a deprived person, a depraved person with a mask, breaking into a house. They don't wear a mask and they're a stupid thief. <laughs> breaking into a house, uh, maybe a low-life person who uh, is caught taking packages from someone's doorstep. That's probably who you're thinking of. When I say, are you a thief? We have to be careful in this one, though. We have to be careful because this is one of those kinds of sins that I think we can be quick to think like a Pharisee. To think, I haven't literally stolen something from someone else in a long time or, or ever, if I can remember, to the degree you're thinking of stealing. When you think of a thief, you probably think of a professional or someone who literally steals from a store or from a home. And therefore, you might be guilty of thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. When I ask, are you a thief? You're like, no, not a thief. And could it just be that simple? And if it was, I would say then it would be surprising that the Lord would make it a major component of his top ten commandments. Uh, there are layers to this sin, church, that we've got to slow and consider to do real business with this topic, this area of life, so that we would see all the ways we need to reform and grow and mature in Christ in this area of life. Question 110 of the Heidelberg Catechism helps us here. It asks and answers, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? You shall not steal. The answer is he forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating, swindling of our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, 
size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. All right, well, that changes things. Let's dive into these layers. It helps us to see that there's many ways to be guilty of stealing and thereby dishonoring God in sin. It's important that each of us really prayerfully take some inventory this morning so that we might identify any of the ways that we're guilty of sinning in this way. Consider with me a few examples. When you are told you have, you are allowed to take two cookies, and you decide to take a third, cookies that you didn't make, cookies that don't belong to you, you were instructed you can have two, but you took a third. What about when you log those last 15 minutes of the hour on your time card, even though you're clocking out now? What about taking advantage of the company vehicle to drive a few personal miles here and there, even though you're told you're not allowed to? What about stretching your write-offs on your tax return, not reporting all the income that you make? What about how you steal from your employers by not giving them your best work? Maybe too often sitting at your desk aimlessly or wandering about on your shift. What about overcharging a client? for services rendered, maybe selling them an inferior product that they believe to be better than it is or better than you advertised it to be. Church, we steal when we waste someone else's time, talent, and resources. We steal when we squander the gifts and blessings that God's given us. With all this in mind, let me ask you again. Are you a thief? If you are, now that you belong to Christ, Paul is clear to say, no longer steal. Before we move on, let's climb into this a little further. What is the sinful motivation or justification that causes us to take what is not ours? We need to see that often it is a longing for something to fulfill you or to complete your identity in a way that is lacking in you. It is idolatry that causes us to steal. The Word of Truth Catechism, question 34, what is the sin of idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping or finding hope, identity, significance, purpose, or security in anything other than in God, our Creator. We steal when something, as small as it might be, has become more fundamental in my life than God for my identity, my personal significance, my sense of security, my purpose for living, my happiness, my joy. And so I cheat or I manipulate or I compromise what is God honoring to have it. I sell out 
Even if it's really small, even if it's a couple bucks, I make that thing so important to me that I will be dishonest. I will take something that's not mine because I, I believe I need it. A few bucks we gain, a trinket we acquire is not small, Christian, when you steal to have it. It is something you are valuing so much to such a degree you're willing to exchange what God is meant to be to you for it. And you might say, man, that sounds like a gross overstatement. That's not the way I'm thinking. But I contend it's not an overstatement. Consider with me just how big it is when we do this. Just how big it is in our hearts. What, we're, what really is taking place. God's emphatic command in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, Exodus 23, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not make anything more necessary or fundamental to your value life, identity, happiness than me. Martin Luther once said, every breaking of the commandments is at its core a breaking of the first commandment. So, one of those commandments is do not steal. Why do we steal? Because I think I need that thing I'm taking in an unrighteous way to fulfill me, to be content, to be happy. Because in the moment, Christ is not enough for me. I will not feel right or justified or satisfied unless I have this thing or keep this thing that I'm cheating or stealing to have. Church, this action is not small. You've got to see what's happening in your heart in your character. We must see how we're discontent with God when we make excuses to justify it. It is critical we are growing in Christ. It is critical we see the underlying motivation to justify taking something that's not ours. Christ is enough. And therefore our hope, our identity, our significance, our purpose, our security is in Christ and not in anything in creation. Only then do we, are we truly content with the two cookies we're given and I don't need the third. Not to mention the practical onset of that shaky thing you'll probably work through because you decide to eat a third cookie. <laughs> Only then, when we're content in Christ, our hope, our security, our purpose is in Him, will we be content to log the amount of time we actually worked and not claim the 15 minutes we didn't. Only then will we be content to put the correct write-offs on our tax return to honestly report all of the income we gained in that year. Not just what we think the IRS will know about. Only then will we be truly motivated to give our employer our very best, 
all of the time that we're on the clock. Only then will we be truly satisfied whether we make the sale or not to not overcharge or peddle an inferior product to move it. Church, see Paul be clear here to say the person guilty of stealing is to stay. If you're guilty of stealing, you've stolen enough. Let that be the past. Let that be the testimony of the old man. Now that you belong to Christ, it is time to live for Christ. It's time to take up a new path in light of the gospel. New practices that honor God. Peter speaks to this well in 1 Peter 4.3 For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. The time that has passed is enough for doing what Gentiles do, what unbelievers do. What you've done in your old life is enough. Any amount of past sinning is enough. If you've sinned a little before you were converted, it's enough. And if you sinned a lot before you were converted, it's enough. We can never sin so little that we say, I need just a little more time to sin. And yet, I think we can be guilty of thinking this way. I I know I'm a new believer. I know I belong to Jesus. And man, I just need to get a few more years on the books and my business doing it this way, claim enough profit, and then I can turn to what's righteous. Or I can, you know, just walk in this lie a little longer, this deception a little longer, because here's the benefit. It's going to be really good. I really believe it's the better way to go. And and then I'll get it right. No. We've all heard the person in deception say, I know I need to get right with God. I know I need to make a break from sin. But just a little more time. Just give me a little more time with my sin. Peter's saying clearly, the time that you've spent sinning is enough. Let the thief steal no longer. Now some of you need to do serious business with this today. Some of you have not been convinced that the sin you're continuing in is truly enough. You're justifying an ongoing lie, an ongoing manipulation, a practice, because it benefits you, because it looks as if no one's getting hurt Because if you repent or correct the practice, you may lose your job. You may lose that relationship. You've convinced yourself that that sin is still somehow permissible. That's really not a big deal. Beloved, see that you're justifying it. You're making excuses for it. For too long. Hear Peter say, it's enough. Repent and be done with it. It's enough. Stop justifying it. Stop making peace with sin. Fight sin. Bring it out. Drag it out into the light. Trust God. Trust and do what honors God. Don't trust your own reasoning. Don't trust your own flawed justification. 
For some of you, this is the reason why you've kept real devotion from God at arm's length. Because you're saying, I'm going to get to that later. I know I need to get to it. I know I need to get more plugged in, more devoted, more humble. I just need to do this a little longer. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. Repent today. Die to yourself today and let Jesus be Lord of your life and obey His commands on you to live in a way that honors Him. Please see the lie and the deception you're believing. See that the satisfaction you get from these sinful things, the justification that you put on them, it it pales in comparison to the satisfaction you have in Christ alone. What are you trading? Repent and trust in Him. Turn from those ways with true commitment to follow through, changing your course to something that honors God. Who do you need to reach out to for help, brother, sister in Christ? Who do you need to ask for accountability, for prayer? Don't keep it a secret. Get to it. You've done it long enough. It's time to honor God, trust God, live for God. Let the thief no longer steal. Look at the next part of the verse. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. First, we must understand that work or labor is a good thing that God gave mankind in creation before the fall. Church, labor or working is not a consequence of the fall. Painful labor and hard work and toiling is a consequence of the fall. But labor in of itself is what we call a creation ordinance. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is what we call a creation ordinance. It's a mandate. It's an ordinance that God gave at creation for creation, for all that is created. Two reminders to give you. We've taught on this in the past about creation ordinances. Number one, these ordinances are to continue until the creation's done. They're perpetual. They're carried out, they're followed, they're honored until the creation cease. Until it's, as Scripture says, burned up and reborn. The new creation, the new heavens and earth. Number two, so it's perpetual, it's ongoing, meaning it doesn't happen for a season or a generation, but ongoingly. And number two, it's an ordinance given by God to be rightly honored by all men and women. It's not by a certain group only. It's by every created human being is to honor God's creation ordinances. Design of God for labor as a creation ordinance for hard work is is for all mankind, for all of His creation. It is God's call on mankind to not steal what He would gain, but to work for it. To labor for it righteously. God gives each of us life and 
physical life, and in that he gives us a life to live. This includes a work to do. Church, the Lord has called you to labor. It is only in our sin that we desire to not work. I want you to think about that for a minute. It is sinful desire to not work. To, to have a life where you have no responsibility, where you have nothing to do, no one to serve. To, to not wake up and have duties. God didn't give us these days under the sun to sit and be slothful. To create amazing video game scores or to win awards for seasons watched on streaming services or trophies won with hobbies. Completing that map of traveling the world and The Lord has called us to labor. This is why Christians don't retire the same way that non-Christians do. We don't move into a season of activity that's only about satisfying our own senses or selfish desires. If that's news to you, Christian, then you need to start asking some questions to understand what retirement looks like. We don't buy a nice recliner, like a really good one, uh, and or a beach chair to finish our days in front of the TV or on the ocean side, camping by the RV. No, no, we wake up every day and we go to work. Even when you retire from your career, you wake up and you acknowledge, God gave me today to serve Him. To make much of His name. So what does that look like? To not be sinfully focused on just me and and slothfulness or just self-indulgence, but to be a blessing, to be a light in a dark world. Church, we will feast and we will enjoy the riches of God's kingdom. Watch this. Forever. And this time in this creation is really short compared to that. Now is the time to serve Him and make much of His name. Now is the time to contribute to society in the name of Christ, to serve others, to be a blessing to others. So yes, when God gives you the opportunity to cease having to labor to make a wage, you get to wake up and labor in ways to serve the king in different ways. These are conversations you should be having with your shepherds that we should be walking together in community to dream and to talk about what does that look like for you in those seasons? Yes, the curse that followed Adam and Eve's sin means that our work is hard, that a woman's child labor hurts, but this doesn't remove God's creation ordinance that we labor We need to reform our thinking, Christian, if if you have a negative view of God's call in your life to labor. If you're guilty of begrudging or complaining about having to wake up and labor, then your complaint, Christian, is against God. I want you to see that. You need to repent of this. You need to embrace His call on your life and on your days. 
It's critical that we rightly embrace God's call on us to work, to labor. Men, hear God's words speak directly to this point for you. Your God-given role, men. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See that direct call to be a provider, to work hard to provide. Men, we're to take seriously the call that God's put on us to labor or provide for our families. I ask you, do you take this seriously? And if you're without a job in this season, especially in this season, it's very, very prevalent for many, are you waking up every day to labor in finding a job? You don't get to just ride your government paycheck and, and get a rad tan. You wake up and you labor to find a job to labor. If you're on disability, you wake up and you find a way to serve the king, to go to work. That I was sitting with my brother Jason last night. We had a, a club activity in the motorcycle club. We're both members of an outreach that we're part of. And I love this part of his testimony. A lifelong meth addict that God gave healing and victory over lifelong taker of medications and disabled, receiving a disability check. And in his gospel renewal, he started to realize, I don't need to be on disability. I can work. And he went back to work. Told the government, keep your money. I'm going back to work. And he continues to labor to this day. Amen? Because he's able to do it. As he should. Praise be to God. Men, we should not be slothful or willing to let someone else do this for us. Men, that means not, not finding a way to kick back so your wives go earn for the family. As good as she may be at it. There's a call in your life to do this. Men, it means not finding an excuse or a way just to ride government handouts. Because you can the Lord's directive for you is bigger than that. Ladies, let me say this is not only for the men. Even though they are charged by God to be the provider, the one to work outside the home, you have a God-given call to work or labor inside the home. Not to say that you can't have a job outside the home, but it is critical that you understand that you should only work outside of the home as a secondary thing, not as a primary thing. This is not your God-given primary call. That primary call, biblically, is put on the husband. You should only do this if, first and foremost, you are stewarding well your God-given priorities at home first. If you're married, the priority of your day should not be your job. It should be the things God's created you for as a helpmate to your husband. As the primary caretaker of your home. The primary nurturer and manager of your children. The Lord gives us a great example of faithful God-honoring woman in Proverbs 31. I can't read or exegete the whole passage. Let me give you a couple highlights. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, 
and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all of the days of her life. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I know some of you are like, it would be rad to have some maidens. I digress. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the days of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. I'm very encouraged that the work of God in so many of you women here at Disciples Church um, who are humbling yourself to truly prioritize the things that God has given you to do, to labor in. Back to our verse, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Christian, are you doing honest work with your own hands? In other words, do you honor the Lord in how you do what you do? In why you do what you do? And why you don't do what you don't do? Young men, It's time for you to learn to work. We have a gross error in this modern generation we find ourselves in where young men are guilty of waiting way too long to learn the discipline of doing honest work with his own hands. Parents, you're not loving your teenager, your young adult sons, to provide for them all the way to adulthood so that they've not earned or learned an honest day's work. How to do their own laundry. How to manage their days with diligence and good stewardship. Instead, parents, I would contend you're crippling them. Fathers, how are you setting the pace and priority for these things in your children? Mothers, are you guilty of holding on too tight, too long, to your babies who are not babies anymore I know they are to you but I've seen this over 20 years of ministry I've seen it I've seen young men be crippled because a mom just in love for her son did his laundry until he's 22 I'm not kidding you have to understand when we're walking with godly young women as far as the kind of man that she should be looking for It is not a man who at 22 is a mom still doing his own laundry. Knows how to manage his days, his time. Parents, 
You're not loving your teenage daughters to not be training them in the skills that they'll need to tend to their households. This is not a little house on the prairie thing. This is a God-given thing. To raise young women in the skills they need to perform the priorities that God has called them to. Mothers, how are you discipling and training up your daughters in these things? Another vitally important priority when it comes to our work is not allowing work to take over our spiritual priorities. We should not be taking jobs, no matter how good the pay or great the opportunity, if it means... Sorry, sitting right here. If it means moving away from a truly prioritized involvement in a church and spiritual disciplines that will bless you. I get choked up. The Fosters are sitting right here in front of me in the front row. They're unavoidably out of my line of sight, in my line of sight. And a very critical moment in their journey was James is a private and professional pilot, and he got offered the dream job of a private pilot. That would have meant moving out of our region. The best pay, the best hours, in an amazing place to live. Surely better air quality than here. (laughs) And through hours and prayers and counsel and seeking counsel, they denied the opportunity to stay, to be discipled, to walk with us as a church. That was the reason. And James will tell you, I, I know he said it many times, maybe one of the best decisions he's ever made in his life for these critical years that God's had them here. And, and I could share others of you in the room that story. I also could share with you stories of faithful brothers and sisters who, who took the bait. They went out of state. They took the better paying job. They made that primary thinking with better freedom and financial freedom, we could own a better house. We could be out of the radical California state. We could improve these places of living. And yet, what they made secondary was finding a true, healthy, adequate, prioritized church, biblical church. And leaving that secondary meant that kids grew up to be heathens. Yeah, they, they jet skied behind they water skied behind $100,000 boats, but they grew up to deny Christ. They, these marriages moved to divorce. I, if I could, I'd put them on the screen. I'd put them before you. They would share their story to say it's the biggest mistake we've made in our lives. We don't accept jobs. That means we move away from our weekly call to Sabbath, to have a day off, a day unto the Lord, to not fulfill God's command that we prioritize corporate worship with our church on Sundays. Men, this is a priority for you and those that He's put in your home. To take jobs that mean that we are not part of discipleship and group life and the discipleship of the family and midweek involvement. These are important aspects of maturing in Christ. Don't be fooled to think you're going to thrive somehow without these things. You will not. Youth, this applies to you. This time in your younger years is primarily for the shaping of your faith. And yes, while I'm calling you young men to start working, absolutely does that not mean taking an hourly job that means you start skipping Wednesdays or Sundays 
Keep looking until you find the job that allows you to be faithful. Quit the job you have if it means you're not able to be growing and maturing in your faith with the body of Christ. The work for the money you're making or the trophy you might gain is not worth it. Church, I pray that we learn to do honest labor with our hands in a way that honors God, that keeps our God-given priorities straight and models for those in our wake how we live for Christ in our days under the sun. I realize we work in an industry, especially with how prevalent the oil fields are here. That means for many of our men that they're working over the weekends, they're working four tens. And I know that's a part of labor here in our community, and I know there's a struggle with that. But I've been doing this long enough to see what that's meant for those families ten years later. And it's just not worth it. We've got to be willing to take some hard inventory about what our real priorities are, the days that God's given us to be matured in Christ, to raise our kids in these truths. How are we being diligent to these things? 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Christian, our labor is to the glory of God. When we work hard, when we work faithfully, when we work diligently, when we work honestly, when we don't let our work overtake our spiritual priorities, we honor God. In what way does your labor need some reformation, church? Men, women, youth. Who do you need to talk to, get counsel from? What needs to change to repent and get this area of your life to a place where it's honoring God. See with me what Paul says next in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have enough to share with anyone in need. Next, Paul brings an important insight to why we as Christians aim to do honest work, and it's not for the reasons that the world says. The world says we work hard to have more money to enjoy life to buy more stuff, to travel with the family, to build self-esteem, to build a reputation among ourselves and our community. Paul's aim for encouraging honest hard work is not for any of this. It's not for us. It's for others. It is so that we can be more sacrificial and generous with others in the name of Christ. See, when we're saved from our sin, we joyfully die to self and we begin to live for Christ. In our salvation, we make a major transition from living for the good of ourselves to living for the good of others. Because the prize we have in Christ is the prize. I I don't need to continue to labor to build this kingdom. This kingdom's temporary. It's going away. I, I get to labor to be a light in the midst of this lost kingdom that they might know by God's perfect will the kingdom that is to come, the eternal kingdom that is life. That's the reason why. That's the reason why we put bread on our table, raise our children, why we wake up and invest ourselves into others. We have to take a wartime lifestyle mentality that our job is given to us to help us fight for the king, to be a blessing to others. 
It is no longer to put our stake in the temporary and to build our own kingdom. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson once said, We are not owners of anything, but stewards of everything. Why do we work hard in these days the Lord has given us under the sun? So that we can give away more, so we can bless others more. This is a gospel perspective. Church, we joyfully loosen our grip on houses and cars and vacations and hobbies and all the things of this temporary kingdom. I said loosen our grip. It's it's not that we live in a box and we don't ever know what it is to stop and play for a moment. But our grip is not on these things. It's on the it's on the kingdom work God's called us to do, the disciple making God's called us to do. We loosen our grip on these things so we can major on the opportunities given to us for the eternal kingdom of God. We do this because our prize is not the temporary things or status of this world. Our prize is to reign with Christ in holy heaven forever. No one modeled this better than Jesus himself. Hebrews 13, 12-14, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, watch this, let us go outside to him. Go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Do you see what just happened? Jesus came, puts on flesh, he sets aside all of the majesty of his glory to be a servant to live his days for us, for others, to die, as it states, sanctify us through his blood, and then we who belong to him are called to give up the living this life in the gates and for all of its temporary means, to go outside the gate and take up our crosses and follow his example. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We belong to Christ. We take up our cross daily. We follow Him in these ways. To love the hurting, the marginalized. To focus on His call on us to make disciples. His call on us to testify the gospel to those He puts in our path. This is something we do with joy. Hebrews 13, look at the next few verses, 15 and 16. Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He's starting to pick up on a theme here. If we belong to Christ, we want to please God. In Christ, we don't want to please our bellies any longer to fill our bank accounts with money, to be pampered. No, we want to please God. We want to do good and share what we have. We want to see many come to Christ. We want to see many disciples made. This is the purpose for our short days. We need to see how blessed we are in Christ's church. John 1.16 Older version of the NIV says it this way, From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Church, Christian, do you realize how rich you are? 
to realize how blessed you are in Christ. And then if we do, then, then hear Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Some of you are working really hard to manage your stuff better, to better fulfill that retirement portfolio. You're starting to get what it is to have a little less now for an investment into the future. You just need to see in Christ, you've got to tick that one place past that little short window of old age here and invest in the eternal future. Quit selling that out for this short-term thing. The word good here is the Greek word kolos. It means beautiful. When people see our good deeds, they see our beautiful deeds. They, they see Christ and they say amazing. That's amazing. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ in order to do kolos deeds, good deeds, beautiful deeds, in order to give away what we have to others. 1 Timothy 6, 18, the second part, be generous and ready to share. Church, how do we know how to be generous? What, that's a big word that, that could mean a lot. What does that mean? What does it mean to be sacrificial? Look no further than Jesus. <laughs> For when we're trying to figure out how, what does it mean to be sacrificial? Being generous, being sacrificial means it costs you something. You're not being generous if you give out of your abundance. That's not generosity. It's not sacrificial. It's sacrificial when it costs you something. When as a result of that generosity, your life looks different. You, you don't live the way you once lived. You live on less. You enjoy less because you're pushing out more. You feel it. You're not just giving out of what you can. You're giving generously in a way that changes your life. I believe as a follower of Christ, if you're looking for the minimum to give, your giving is already from a heart that's really more about how much you get to keep. And it's less about actually how much you can give. Can I say directly, lovingly, if you're not faithful, giving generously, regularly, of your first fruits of the income God provides you, you're stealing from Him. It is His. You are His. Your days are His. Your commission, your, the command on you is to not spend it on you first and foremost. It's to push it out for the work of the gospel, for the making of disciples, for the work of His bride, the local church, making disciples unto the nations. It's the best thing your money does every month. Better than feeding your own family. Better than putting a roof over your head. 
It's an investment not just into the consumption of a month that is gone. It's an investment into eternity. It's a joy to see many of you getting this. It's a joy to see what God's doing as you mature in Christ. As you learn what this actually looks like. Some of you are getting new jobs. You have bigger incomes than ever before. And so you're not necessarily driving bigger, nicer cars, going on more vacations. You're giving away more. You, you get this. Some of you have received a large settlement, a large gift, an inheritance from a loved one. We have multiple families this year that gave tens of thousands of dollars to the work of the kingdom in these ways. Great and beautiful generosity at work for the work of the kingdom. Some of you are quick to turn the little you have. Maybe some of you are going, yeah, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars. What does that even look like? But, but you are turning the little you have into blessing others. The time, your, the diligence of your days, you, you, it's going to work. And it's your joy to do so. The church, this honors the Lord. It shows where your treasure is. Where is your treasure? If Christ is your treasure, then, then you live for Him. If Jesus is your life, then you're full in Him. Satisfied in Him, Jesus is enough. We have to begin here. Then and only then do we move to an overflow of generosity. When the gospel takes hold of us, we set down the treasures of this world and we aim to be faithful managers of God's provisions for God's glory. I love... The work we did in our catechism, the Word of Truth Catechism, question 52. Why does God give the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, so that we will be content with what we have and seek to be generous? As Christians, we should be content with what we have, and that contentment breeds open-handedness and generosity. Watch how this plays out in the early church. Acts 4.32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You see, the Christ enabled this sacrificial living that impacted their community. How are you doing with this personally? How is the gospel motivating and moving you in these ways? Are you known for your contentment with what God has given you? Or are you constantly pressing for more? Are you known for being generous, looking to bless others with your resources, your time, your talents, your possessions? Are you faithful to give your resources to the, to the movement of the gospel, to the local church, to the disciple-making that He's called us to do together? Acts 20.35, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Let's let our testimony in these things be distinctly Christian, church. 
Because we have all that we need in Christ. Amen? I close with this. Matthew 14, verse through 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May it be so. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time and place that you've given us today to study your holy word. Uh, the, the perfect work of the Holy Spirit upon each of our hearts to, to stir us and bring conviction and motivation and movement that we would not be guilty of being hearers only, but, but doers, that we'd put these things to work with accountability, with conversations, with follow-through. That this is that time of the year where, where we're reviewing our budgets, we're planning for a new year, we're, we're considering the things that we're committing ourselves to as we consider next year's scheduling. And, and Lord, that we would be better stewards of these days, not for ourselves, but for others. Quick to say yes, to be involved in ministry, quick to prioritize disciple-making in our own homes and with others humbling ourselves to be discipled and to be shaped and moved, mobilized in these ways. Lord, for those in the room who might not know you as Lord and Savior, let them see and savor the gospel that has been professed today, the sacrifice of the perfect Son of God who was without sin, who died in our place undeserving sinners, wretched and worthy of your wrath. He took it upon himself that we would be forgiven and set free and adopted into your family, empowered to live in these new ways, free from the idolatry and the sin and the practices of old where we stole to have, we cheated to believe we could gain what we needed that we can live uprightly, that we can labor honestly and faithfully, not so we can have more, so that we can give away more, invest in others more in this short time you give us. Father, you are all we need, as we've sang today. You are worthy to be praised, worthy of all of our lives. Bring new faith saving faith to this place, to, to the, those dead in sin today, and bring radical commitment and obedience to those who belong to you. For your glory, for others' good, for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray.